0: Well, good morning again. We have been working our way slowly through the epistle we call 2 Corinthians. We are in chapter 6, and uh, we're in a section that we've broken up into three parts where Paul is talking about the uh, conditions of his ministry and the, uh, the lifestyle that he lives in the context of it. Um, so I'm going to read verses 3 through 7 of chapter six, Second Corinthians. But we're really only focusing on 6 and 7 today because we've already talked about 4 and 5 last week. And 3 is sort of the umbrella of the whole thing. 3 and 4a. So let me read this. We put put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, now the part we're going to focus on this morning by purity knowledge patience, kindness the Holy Spirit genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left now actually this isn't even the whole list because it goes on in the next few verses there are 27 items in this list in all. Last week, and we noticed that they're broken up into three lists of nine. And last week we talked about the first list of nine that were all about suffering, persecution. And then this morning we're going to look at the second nine, the middle nine, and then next week is father's day so we won't look at anything about this and then the following week we'll look at the the last nine these this middle nine are nine qualities in the context of suffering the nine qualities which make for his the good witness that Paul is able to maintain in other words there're nine Characteristics of life which commend the gospel. And these qualities, if they're missing, put an obstacle in the way of people listening to our witness, listening to the gospel. It's not surprising that the list bears a similarity to the list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The only difference is that this list is focused on what the Spirit produces in us, not just in general, but in particular, what is important for ministry and for being a good witness for Christ in the world. But again, we can't just leave the suffering of the first nine and, and uh, be done with it. The suffering of the first nine is the context in which these qualities in the second nine are lived out. So in the midst of suffering, we have, or Paul has, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit... Genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, weapons of righteousness. Now, last week in the first nine, we saw that the nine divided neatly into three threes. And we as Presbyterians just love that. That symmetry. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but the middle nine do not split into three threes. They split very naturally and obviously into pattern of 2241 now i hope that you can endure this i know some of you think that if it's not symmetric it can't be right but the fact is it's 2241 and you're going to have to live with it okay so the first two of these the first pair Purity and knowledge. These two virtues describe where God wants our heads and where God wants our hearts. The head should be filled with the knowledge of God and the heart should be pure before him. Too many Christians underemphasize one or the other of these two essentials of Christian character. Some feel that knowledge is unimportant or even harmful. But God has given us our minds. They are good and not evil. Although, of course, they can be used for evil. And they can lead a person to be puffed up who gains knowledge. And Second Corinthians 8 warns us about that. But God has called us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's given us his word for us to understand with our minds. And he tells us that he wants us to have the mind of Christ. Knowledge about God is useless in and of itself. But knowledge joined with purity of heart toward God is the right recipe we're given here for spiritual maturity. On the other hand, some neglect purity of heart. As if only what you think is important. But God calls us to be sincere in our faith and undivided in our loyalty and unadulterated in our motives. It's not enough to know the right things. God calls us to love him with all of our heart and that all implies the purity of heart. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So we have knowledge and purity to begin. The second pair is kindness, patience and kindness. Second two qualities here that commend the gospel, patience and kindness. One of the main ways that people can tell that Christ is at work in us and that Christ really does reside in us is by these qualities of patience and kindness in our lives. And these two are linked frequently in Scripture. They're linked in the fruit. Paul's list of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. They're linked also in Colossians 3.12. They're really two sides of the same coin. Patience is passive goodness. Kindness is active goodness. We might think that the world would be more impressed and Christ more commended through more spectacular displays of God's power like miracles and the ability to predict the future. But in Colossians 1.11 when Paul is praying for the Colossians to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, the result he says he's hoping for is the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Each day we have little opportunities to show patience and kindness even in the face of antagonism, even in the midst of struggle, And the Bible is filled with this. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. That's 1 Peter 3, 9, but there's many verses like this in the New Testament. And even when we're proclaiming the message of Christ, we need to handle the truth with patience and kindness. As we're told in 2 Timothy 2, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. You see, when we do this, we imitate God, who is rich in kindness and tolerance and patience, as Paul tells us in Romans 2.4. When we are patient and kind, we show forth God's love, which every person desperately needs to see. Sadly, in my observation, many Christians have gotten sucked into the thinking that it pervades the society today that somehow we serve God by demanding our rights. As if we are just another special interest group vying for power among the rest. This is not the way we should be thinking. It is by kindness and patience that we engage the world. This kind of living is what Francis Schaeffer called the final apologetic. The way we live argues for the reality of Christ even more than the arguments we can muster. And now the four of the two, two, four, one. This one is different and it has some interesting and pretty special dynamics to it. In the English, it just reads the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech. And the power of God. But when you're reading the Greek, the first thing you notice is that all of these things in this list up to this point have had two words. They all begin with the preposition en, which usually means in or by, and then and so they and then the, the word, you know, in patience, in kindness. But then when we get to this section of four, all of a sudden all of them have three words which alerts us to the th- fact that there's something different going on here. But what is happening here in the, in the Greek language is something that we refer to as an inc- inclusio. It's a technique of, of speech, a literary device, where several items are bracketed together. And you're, we're told you're supposed to think of these things as a group. And the way that that's signaled is by synonymous phrases or synonymous things beginning and ending it. And this sort of brackets them as one. So, this expression here in the Holy Spirit, which begins this, and this ends in the power of God. You see, these are synonyms in the Holy Spirit. And in the power of God. These are the synonyms which bracket these four expressions into one. We're supposed to see this as one thing. So taken as a unit then. These four which have the Holy Spirit and the power of God as the ends. And then the truth and the love as the center. These tell a story. They tell us that quite apart from ordinary human ability... Paul had been empowered by the Holy Spirit to demonstrate the love of Christ and proclaim the truth of Christ. And in doing so, he doesn't just become an interesting historical figure, but he becomes a model to us. A model of spirit empowered love and spirit empowered truth proclamation. And really that together because It's it's more. It's not just. There's two things: love and there's truth. It's speaking the truth in love, as he says elsewhere. By the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so really, our witness in the world is well summarized by this expression here: spirit-filled, loving proclamation of the truth. We're called to speak and show the truth and love which Christ spoke and showed. But we cannot do that apart from his power. In ourselves, there is no real love. For love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love, 1 John 4. As long as our Christian life is merely a matter of trying harder, we're going to fail. We just don't have what it takes. It can only happen by the power of God. And that means we need to pray instead of just try. Failure to pray means one of three things. It either means that we don't care about being faithful to God Or it means that we don't think we need his help in order to be faithful to God. Or it means that we don't think he's going to help us even if we do pray. I would suggest that you think about those three things because I don't know that there's any other... For a Christian person who doesn't really have a pattern of praying to God for help... Help me to live my life the way that you've called me to live. If that's not a pattern of your life, which of these three is it? It only can be one of these. Either it is that we don't care about being faithful to God. That that's just not important to us. Or we don't think we need his help to be faithful to God. We think we can do it on our own strength. Or... We don't think he's going to help us even if we ask, even if we pray. So think about that. And whichever it is, I think it's pretty obvious where the problem lies. Well, the last one, the one of the 2241 is commending the gospel by the weapons of righteousness. Or as it says here, the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left In order to commend the gospel to the world, Paul makes full use of the weapons that God has given to him. And there are two qualities of these weapons that Paul talks about here. First, they're weapons of righteousness. Now, that's interesting. They're weapons of righteousness. He tells us more about this in chapter 10. So we're in 6, we'll be in 10, probably in 4 years, I don't know. Anyway, um, in 10, 3 and 5 he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Obviously, we'll talk more about this, but this is what the the idea of righteous weapons—that it's not just human weapons; it's not just the kind of weapons people usually use to influence each other in this world. But these are righteous weapons, which also implies that there are unrighteous weapons, which means that there are tools that people that we might be tempted to use to influence people for Christ that are not the right kind of tools that should be used. For instance. Trying to spread the gospel by force. Which is sadly. You know something that happened at times in church history. And I'm sure happens in other ways today. Let me ask you this. If there was a great revival. And 98% of the people of our country. Became Christians. And you know pretty much a Christian nation in that sense what would you think you should, should be done about the other 2% if you think that they should be punished in some way for not accepting the Lord even because it was so clear and obvious that that's the right thing to do then you believe in spreading the gospel by force I would suggest I believe that's a contradiction of the gospel. We don't use weapons of the flesh. We use weapons of the spirit. Righteous weapons. Other unrighteous weapons include things like pressure, snide remarks, humiliation, deception. But instead, God calls us to use righteous weapons like the loving presentation of the gospel... Helping people in need, even if they oppose us. Prayer, good deeds, even praying for our enemies. Humility, sincerity. As Basically, it's all summed up in what Paul says in Romans 12, 17, when he tells us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's our righteous weapons. But then the other thing he says about these weapons is that they are for the right hand and the left. See, in his left hand, a soldier would hold his shield, his defensive weapon. In his right hand, he would hold his sword or some other offensive weapon. In Ephesians 6, where Paul goes into the various weapons of the spirit, he talks about The defensive weapons that God gives the believer the truth righteousness the gospel of peace faith, salvation by these things we defend ourselves against the attacks of the evil one in 1 Thessalonians 5.8 he adds love the offensive and I think that probably goes to the offensive side of things but the offensive weapon in Ephesians 6 of course is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God of course the truth the word of God can be both you know Jesus used the word of God defensively at the temptation remember when he was defending himself against the temptations of Satan but of course when we, when we are on the offense bringing the gospel to people then it becomes an offensive weapon And so we see that Paul commends the gospel by enduring trouble with godly virtue. But this list is much more than a description of Paul's life. It's a call to imitate his example. Christ made Paul a model of a life hijacked by divine grace imitate me he says as i imitate christ he said that inspired by the holy spirit god does not call us to be bystanders applauding the decorated the dedicated service of christian heroes we are called to serve like them it is not enough to stand on the sideline with a clean shirt bearing the emblem of the winning team cheering there's no verse in the Bible that says well done good and faithful spectator and so this is for us this is a call for us so we have to ask how does my life measure up to this list the knowledge of God, purity of heart, patience and kindness, spirit-empowered love and truth proclamation. Being engaged in spiritual warfare, which all of us agree is going on. The question is whether we're actually engaged in it, whether we're living like it's going on, or whether we're just oblivious to it, which means not that it's not taking place. It means that it's happening Suddenly, and we're losing. I hope that we are not content to put an obstacle in people's way to listening to the gospel. I hope that if we read things and realize things in our lives that indeed put that obstacle in people's way, that that bothers us. We ought to feel bad if that is the case if we are damaging other people's view of Christ. But of course it's not enough just to feel bad. Maybe it's something that you've known about for a long time and have tried to change many times. Maybe there's been a long-term intolerance, I'm sorry, a long-term tolerance of sinful patterns in your life. A peaceful coexistence With something that you know does not honor the Lord in your life. Maybe it's time to repent before the Lord. And before the people you've hurt. Maybe it's time to start praying urgently for God to deliver you from that sin. I say it's okay if you've given up on changing. but It's not okay if you've given up on being changed. Or do you think, do you actually think that your sin and weakness is stronger than the power of God's grace? Don't think that way. And let's begin shaking the doors of heaven with urgency in prayer for God's intervention in these things in our lives. the fact is though sometimes we don't want to change if we're honest with ourselves the reason that we're not passionately praying that God would change us is because we don't want to change we have an idol and we really don't want anybody to take that idol away why would you try to get rid of something which you love why would you try to get rid of something that you look to to give you life If, if that describes your life, I think you're in dangerous territory. And I don't think you should feel safe in your life. You're walking on thin ice. And I think you feeling secure is, is, a, is a, itself a dangerous thing. If that's your, the, the condition of your life need to cry out to God for mercy and you need to fear now this leads me to talk about something that I've wanted a chance to speak to you about on a personal level last month the Lord convicted me it really begun, began in March and came to a head last month the Lord convicted me of the sin of gluttony And I want to tell you this because I know that for some it's hard to listen to someone talk about sin and talk about idols when you can see in his figure that he has an idol. And I don't want to put an obstacle in anyone's way. And I know that my being overweight has done damage to my ministry and I'm very sad about that and I'm sorry for that and I apologize to you for putting an obstacle in your way in terms of my ministry and for those who were able through it all to listen to me without that being a stumbling block I want to thank you the fact is that self-control is a fruit of the spirit and with regard to eating it's one that I've been lacking there's nothing wrong with loving something like food the problem comes when we love it too much the problem comes when it becomes an idol for us and I believe that that is my problem or has been now I've repented of this and I'm submitting my eating life to the Lord now I don't know if you're familiar with the old track called My Heart Christ Home by Robert Mumford I think his name was where Jesus, he welcomes Jesus into his life and then Jesus wants to go around the house and sort of put all the different rooms of his life in order and it's like oh what about this cloud oh don't go in there Lord this is, you know, I don't want you to you know, come out here in the living room and we'll talk and, uh, well, the Lord is now, you know, wants to deal with this room in my life. And um, I don't, you know, it's going to take some, do- some doing. It's taken me over 10 years to put the extra weight on. It's not going to go away overnight. And I appreciate your prayers for that. I certainly need the Lord's help. Um, but I do want you to know that there's been a conviction in my heart and a change in my, the way I view this whole thing. Um, I also want to tell you about two blessings that the Lord showed me in this. One was that um, I always resented the fact that, um, you know, there are other people, uh, even in my own siblings, who ate as much as I did and were skinny as anybody would ever want to be. And. Um, And the Lord showed me what a blessing it is that that's not my case. Because if there's a spiritual issue, if it gets brought out in a way that you can't deny it, it actually helps you to deal with it because you can't hide it. And it's just been something that's forced me, it's been much, by sticking it in my face every time I look in the mirror... It's uh it's actually a blessing to help me to deal with it, a spiritual issue that I needed to deal with. But second of all, I'm grateful to God that He showed me this and convicted me of this in a time when I didn't have some big health problem that came out of it. Because, you know, it could have been a blood pressure problem or a heart problem, and the doctor says, Boy, if you don't lose weight, you're gonna you're gonna die. And no doctor said that. All the numbers are good. And, and I haven't had that. And that's a blessing too. Because again this is a spiritual issue. And I want to deal with it as a spiritual issue. And not as a health issue. Even though it, can, it is also a health issue. But first and foremost it is a spiritual issue. And that's the way I'm grateful that the Lord has helped me. And if there's any other aspect of my life. That you feel Contradicts the gospel that I'm trying to preach, please tell me because I don't want anything in my life to put a stumbling block in people's way of the ministry. Let's come to the Lord's table. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God. We thank you that you are the true food and the true drink. That all the things that this world offers us, O Lord, they're not things that really satisfy us. And we pray that you would bless us now as we come to this sacrament. That you would feed us the abundance of Christ. We think of him when he was offered food by his disciples when he was talking to the woman at the well and he said, I have food you know not of. My food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. We thank you, dear Lord, that there is something greater than the food the world offers us. And we thank you that it is represented here on this, at this table now in the bread and the wine. And we pray that you would bless us as we come to it and that as we partake of these little symbols, that Lord, you would allow us to be partaking in our hearts of the richness of Christ himself. We pray in his dear name. Amen.